In my opinion, customer success or CS stands for common sense. Now, let's be real for a second. We're not dealing with rocket science unless you're maybe the CSM of NASA. A good CSM should have a very good common sense. Welcome to NPS I Love You, a podcast powered by Catalyst. I'm your host, Ben Wynn, and this show is all about awesome people, ideas, and stories, all with a customer success twist. On NPS I Love You, I talk to everyone from artists to scientists, CEOs to CSMs, and everyone in between to give you powerful insights that will help you in your career and in life. Shai Ritblad is head of partner and customer success at SciSense, the leading AI-driven platform for infusing analytics everywhere. In this episode, Shai joins me all the way from Tel Aviv to discuss their partner success program, building versus buying, how they prioritize feature requests, and why he believes CS just stands for common sense. So talking a little bit more about SciSense, it's an analytics platform, but for our listeners and people who might not have an analytics platform or know much about them, can you give some practical examples of how SciSense works, who your customers are, what they use you for? Absolutely. So we're a full stack solution that helps our users connect to multiple data sources, mesh up the data, create data models and build dashboards that really helps uh, provide our clients with actionable insights, right? Making more sense out of the data. Our customers range from NASDAQ to Air Canada to UiPath to GE. Basically, any company in any vertical, we help users make the most out of their data and improve their business operations and even generate revenue by selling analytic products. So it's really cross-region, cross-verticals. We live in an era where data is the new oil, right? Mm -hmm. Every company is generating more and more data. And companies that don't know how to utilize it and understand it and act upon it, they're missing out. One of SciSense's key differentiators is our embedded offering. So think about it. Many companies have this question of uh, build versus buy, right? Right. They can either go ahead and build their own solution or they can just buy product that's the same. So it might be that you're actually viewing a SciSense dashboard with one of the tools that you're using and you don't even know because it's fully white labeled, embedded. So this is what we do. You know, just a, a quick example, you know, we deal with so many companies. As a CSM, one of my customer was one of the largest growers of roses in the Netherlands. Cool. Right. And and what they have, they have these four huge greenhouses. Really, they're absolutely huge. I was lucky enough to visit them in the Netherlands and, and walk through those fields. That's awesome. It was beautiful and amazing. And what they do, each rose that they cut, they put on a machine that takes pictures of each rose, right? They can do like a hundreds per minute. And that's crazy. Uh, yeah. And each image is being analyzed right? For the length of the rose, how much no. the bud is open, the color of it, what? all the data is crunched into SciSense and they analyze the quality of the rose. Now this will... That's insane. Yeah. It's, first of all, it's amazing. You know, it's not the regular tech company. Yeah, no. Old fashioned business, really something I never worked with before, but they have tons of data and they can analyze if the quality of the rose and how much to sell it. So the value of their business is just huge. So this is just one small example. Oh, I love that. You must have got you must get to like interact with so many different cool companies than doing innovative things with data. Like that's such a great example of something I would never have thought of, but it makes perfect sense, especially at that scale. All of them. All types of companies. Uh luckily I'm working in mostly in the EMEA region, today also in APAC. So I traveled a lot back in the pre-COVID days, hopefully. Pre-COVID times. To get back to that soon. So yeah, that was uh, really good. That's really cool. 
So now you're no longer doing specifically customer success, you're doing partner success. So can you explain the difference between those roles and sort of explain what the partner program looks like? Absolutely. So the way I see partner success is as an evolution of customer success, right? Call it customer success 2.0, if you like. We all know the importance of customer success. It's well established today. But as company matures and with an ongoing worldwide customer base, it becomes more challenging to keep up the hyper growth while providing the best service uh, that we did so far. So by building strong relationship with partners, we can keep accelerating growth while uh, penetrating more regions around the globe where we lack physical presence and might have some cultural or language barriers. So for example, I don't speak French, right? And, and French people like to speak in their language and they have their traditions. So you can provide a much better experience if you have a local partner on the ground that can visit them and speak their language and know everything about them. So partner success is aimed to establish a first-class partners ecosystem of resellers and implementation partners. And our mission as a partner success team is to provide our partners with the tools they need so they can provide our customers uh, with the Sysense exper experience while interacting with them and not with Sysense directly. Uh, what we do is that we, we train our partners uh, how to use our platform, how to use our best practices, and all of our customer success methodologies so they can uh, go ahead and do the same. Think of uh, as each partner as a mini Sysense, for example, right? Or uh, an extension. It's very exciting, very challenging, right? They're different companies. They have their own ambitions, their own goals. Mm -hmm. uh, the trick is to find the mutual goals and uh, the synergy that really grows the partnership and makes it a win-win-win situation. So win for Sysense, win for partner, and win for the customer. I love that. It's funny because it kind of ties into the earlier conversation around build versus buy. Do you open an office in, I don't know, Singapore? Or do you hire a reseller that's based in Singapore that understands the culture? And what are the pros and cons to both? And I guess it makes sense in terms of, I mean, in terms of the financials, like it makes sense for the company and, and for SciSense ultimately to have the reseller instead of investing in opening an office and hiring a team. And that'd be a massive cost, right? For sure. And it's not just about, you know, cost and effort of doing that. When we build our partners, we're trying, especially in, in the data space, uh, we provide a BI platform, but it's only a small segment of the entire BI solution. We don't have the skill set in-house of creating a data warehouse, building large data schemes, data lakes, ETL processes, etc. So we partners with companies that have those skill set. So they can provide our customers, not just with the size sense best practices, but also give them an end-to-end -end turnkey solution for their entire data challenges that they have. And this is a lot of value to our customers. How big was SciSense when it started this partners program? Like thinking in terms of where we are, maybe at Catalyst or where other scale-ups might be if they're at the 50 to 100 person size company and you know they're in that fast growth stage. Like at what point do you think companies should start thinking about building a partner program? Well, I think the good, the right answer is now, right? As soon as possible. Start building it even before you're ready, because you're going to be learning a lot and you're going to be failing a lot until you find the right partnerships. Usually starts from the sales side, channel managers trying to expand the reach and get more prospects and more deals in. At some point, it reached also customer success. Some of our customers needed help. So we wanted to bring in some implementation partners, especially in, you know, other regions that we didn't have a presence and we needed to get on site 
or language barrier, or we needed the knowledge, not just of our product, but also uh, other aspects of, of the data. So we started working. It wasn't well-structured. I think around two years ago, that was uh, where the decision was made. And I think it went all the way up to our CEO. And we, we came to this understanding that we are at the large scale and we need to you know really ramp up how we do partners. So we started recruiting the people. It was back then maybe two. I think today we're almost 15 people doing partners in different uh, roles. And it's just growing. We see the demand is building up from the field, from our teams, from our customers. So definitely, it's a good motion and very exciting to be. Yeah, it's, def- it's cool, especially, like you said, it's like customer success 2.0. There's that extra layer in there. It's new challenges, but the same mentality, right? The same same end goal, but with sort of a new lens. So uh, I can imagine it must be a very uh, exciting space to be in. We were talking earlier about one of the bigger issues that I've seen a lot in the community side, just in general with CS leaders, and that's on the product feature request prioritization side. So you were telling me that there's sort of a new process you've impl- you implemented for feature requests at SciSense. Can you tell me a bit about it and why it changed, what wasn't working versus what's working now? Sure. So we had a few iterations of this process over the years, uh, and we're constantly trying to improve. I don't think we're perfect yet, but we're building it as we go. We actually just recently started utilizing another tool called User Voice to really take this uh, to the mm-hmm. next level. This is something we're rolling out these days. But when I joined, basically, there was no formal process, right? It was the largest customer or the loudest CSM that would define which request would be handled first, which makes sense. We can all relate to that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, absolutely. It's fair. It's fair. It's how you roll. But as we grew and, you know, today we have over 2,000 customers across the globe, it became impossible to handle. So we had to find a better way to keep track. So what we did is we asked our customer in case uh, they had a feature request to submit a ticket to support. The support agent would analyze, maybe try to find a workaround. And if he realized that this is a feature request, is not something that we can do out of the box, he would then go ahead and open a Jira ticket for our developers, reply to the customer, it's been uh, moved to our developers to investigate. And that's basically uh, what it was. Now, while this helped create better visibility, it wasn't a good customer experience. So there were some quick wins, but most of the requests could take months or even at all until there was uh, either an answer or commitment. And we didn't do a good job in closing the loop, right? Because right. customer opened a ticket, but we left them at some sort of a limbo and it didn't create a good experience. And also we ended up with many support tickets that were open and were burdened on support because support engines are not supposed to deal with feature requests. This is something that it's more yes. customer it's success, product team. product team, exactly. Customer success. Yeah. They need to, to solve technical issues to, to train customers how to do things. So it cost a mess and it started to be you know too much on the system. So we understood we needed a better way and alignment with our customer. So we decided to change the process. First thing we did, was a really small change, but I think it was significant, was to rebrand this process, right? From feature requests to ideas. And just this small change, it really helped set a more realistic expectation. So everyone just stopped using the language, like it just changed, you just started by changing the language, right? The, The semantics. Exactly. As simple as that. When you have a request, you accept someone to get back to you and, and provide you with an answer. When you offer an ID, yes or no, you, they might accept that, they might not. 
we are always thanking for to get more ideas, but it's an idea, right? Not all ideas will, will come to life. So this was this was the first thing uh, that we did. Now, when a customer would reach out to us, either it was through the CSM or a support ticket, he would be directed to a new a forum page that we created, our ideas forum page, where the customers were asked to submit their ideas. This was great and really helped us achieve the, the two following. One, less noise for support. They could focus on their job, no clutter of tickets that they don't need to handle with. And customers got visibility to ideas and we allowed them to upvote for the ones that they would like to get uh, their own. So that was a big change. Obviously, in the, in the back end, uh, for each ID, we, also, we still created a Jira ticket that would alert both customer success and R&D. What we did here, it helped us identify quick wins. And sometimes we can even push the ID directly through R&D to one of the sprints. If it was a quick fix, a small change, something that didn't request uh, you know, a new design or something like that. And the rest of the requests, the ideas, were assigned to the relevant product manager to review and decide if and when to add it to the product. Now, this allowed us to really easily communicate back and update the customers. Obviously, we created dashboards. We are a BI company, after all. So we tracked all of the ideas, uh, how many customers submit those, uh, what is the impact, what is the area of the product, the trends, et cetera, et cetera, everything you can think about it. That's really cool. Okay, so we... In terms of the factors that then or now, I guess, go into deciding the prioritization for feature requests, it's, you know, people can upvote. And then do you still look at ARR of, you know, the companies who are upvoting it? Or is it strategic customers? Or is it the ones that align most with the internal product roadmap? Can you share the specific criteria? I'm not trying to help your customers game the system, but what are the exact factors that the team is looking at now? Sure. So first of all, like you said, uh, number of customers that are requesting a specific ID and the percentage of the ARR, right? So we want to give a good uh, weight for both of those. You want to make sure the ID is aligned with the product roadmap, right? Unlike an early stage startup, a more mature company, they have a clear vision, they have a, a clear market fit. If it's not aligned with that, it's probably a waste of time, right? So we want to make sure that we, we don't lose focus and prioritize uh, those that are already on the roadmap or we identify uh, that we have gaps that we need to close. Always ask yourself, is this nice to have versus a core requirement? Especially as a CSM, you want to build everything for your customer. You get excited about things, they get excited about things. So it's, but then it's, you know, taking the time to step back and say, okay, like, is this a nice to have or a need to have? Is this going to be like, if we don't build it, they're going to churn, or if we build it, we can expand with them. Like asking those questions is uh, important, but difficult to do. At least it was for me when I was CSM. I wanted to build everything. Exactly. Think about it. In, in a BI platform, there are tens or hundreds of different widgets, right? Different visualizations. We don't have it all and, and we don't aim to, right? You have the major ones. Uh, we'd rather invest much more on being cloud ready, providing the best performance, the security that is you know, straight up and everything is working well. Those are where we want to focus that has much more impact and those are core requirements where if we have this kind of visualization or not, it's not a game changer. And, and last but not least, we always see how we position ourselves versus competition. Is this idea, will it differentiate us for the market or will it close the gap that we currently have? So this is also something uh, we take into consideration. Obviously, there might be some outliers here, right? There's sometimes a 
huge deal. You need to close it. They have the specific. Gotta do what you gotta do. Gotta do what you gotta do. But those are the things that uh, you want to focus. We do let our customers know, right, when they reach out to us and they submit an ID, that if what they're requesting is core functionality for them, or maybe even a showstopper, right, always reach out to the CSM and find a solution. And my advice here uh, to everybody that is listening, and this is something we teach our CSMs, try to understand the business needs behind the feature, right? People don't really need features. They need outcomes. If you spend some time with your customers to really understand what they're trying to achieve, you will find that there might be a good workaround or a different way to achieve the same outcome. So make the extra mile, have an extra session, bring someone to the call, be creative, try to understand what is it that they want, right? What is it Mm -hmm. that you're trying to achieve? Bring their audience, their users to it, just to really understand. In many cases, you'll you'll find another way. And my second advice would be, uh, don't be afraid to say no, not just to feature requests, but general in CS, right? So... If what they're requesting is not aligned with the product strategy and the chances for it to be developed are slim to none, you know, be open and honest about it. Explain the logic for this decision and, and try to find uh, to help your customer find another w- way around this. Be creative. Try This, this is what we do in, in CS, right? We're, Definitely. we're trying to find creative ways to bridge the gap between technology and, and people. Great definition of CS. <laughs> So I'm curious, like, so you, I mean, you gave a great example of this earlier with, with the roses, but, you know, analytics is not something that generally you're like waking up every day, like, yeah, I get to work on an analytics platform. Like, this is so much fun. This is so cool. But it definitely sounds like that is what you have at SciSense. That is sort of, and, and so I'm curious what your day-to-day is, your role or the company that is what gets you out of bed, what gets you really excited. Wow. So first of all, I must admit, I didn't come from a data background before. And I, mm-hmm. I'm going to say something that might sound very nerdy, but data is cool. It is. Yep. It just is. You can learn so much about it, about the world, about your business, about your customers. I think every company today must be a data-driven if they want to really excel in what they do. And as I said, every company has data. So you get to work with so many people, different roles, different verticals, different industries, high-tech, old-fashioned, whatever. So it's really exciting. And, and today, what we do with partner success, basically, we're building a new organization within customer success. And this, to me, is uh, it's very exciting. There, there are many challenges, don't get me wrong. It, in, in some essence, it feels like moving back in time to the prehistoric age when we need to reinvent the wheel. Things that, as a CSM, it was just there. I just click a button, and now I need to rebuild everything. Right. But... Again, getting to know so many partners from around the world. I'm a people person, so just let me meet new people, uh, learn about their business, their desires, and finding those mutual goals that build a strong partnership. It's really rewarding. And also, you know, looking back for the past year and a half, so we see the the impact that it has on the teams. It's really energizing, right? It's pushing us to be uh, more initiative. Thinks about think about other ways that partners can help uh, the current customer success organization to excel in what they do, to take some of the load off their back and uh, provide more value to our customers. So I'd say everything we currently do, I'm, I'm working on something. I can't really talk about it right now. It's a pilot that I'm trying to run. I'm, I'm getting mm-hmm. management buy-in, so I still need to get uh, cool to, to the finish line with this. But if it uh, will happen, it will really change how we do customer success and the value we can provide to our customers. 
So hopefully next time I can talk to you about it. Definitely. Yeah, we'll do a follow-up. That's always exciting when it's, like you said, it's it's a lot to go back and have to do things that you took for granted before, but it's also extremely rewarding because you get to do net new stuff. You get to be creative. You get to come up with new things and test them out. And uh, yeah, so I'm excited to learn more about whatever it is you're working on. And clearly it's something that would have a major impact on the organization. And also you, you get to build it your way, right? You already have some experience. Right. Which is, of course, the best way. Hopefully. <laughs> I'll let you know. <laughs> I mean, hey, a lot of the best decisions I think I or a lot of people I've worked with ever made were things that at previous companies or in previous roles, it was always, well, I would have done it this way. But, you know, someone else with more who's more important than me decided that way. So this is how I'm going to do it now that I can. And a lot of the, I think a lot of the best decisions come from that and are made that way. Indeed. So when you're looking for CS team members, what are the most important things that you look for? So I think, you know, this is one of the most debateful questions in the customer success community. You see it uh, every now and then pops up in, on LinkedIn. So what's the most important thing uh, in a CSM? And everybody's trying to find, you know, the right formula to hire the best CS people out there. Yeah. And everyone says it depends. Yeah, exactly. So that's not allowed to be your answer. No, no, I'm not going to say it depends. Okay, good. <laughs> but in my opinion, customer success or CS stands for common sense, right? Now, let's be real for a second. We're not dealing with rocket science unless you're maybe the CSM of NASA. They pretty cool job. Yeah, I'm it's down. good. I'll apply. <laughs> a good CSM should have a very good common sense, right? They should be able to analyze the situation in the right way, uh, harness the relevant people to the mission and act upon it. I think it's relatively easy, at least to, for me, to teach the playbooks and tactics, but really understanding situation and people is much more complex to teach. And this is something that top CSM do naturally. So this is something I try to find in CSMs, learn from their past experience, how they acted in different situations and see if they know how to you know, read people and read different uh, scenarios. So is that how you generally screen? Because I would say my follow-up was gonna be, how do you screen for common sense? So it sounds like you do that by asking them about certain scenarios or asking them to share stories? Yes. Well, mostly about to share stories. I might, you know, come up with a made-up scenario or, or do something like that. But I really like to hear from experience, from real life, how they challenge, how they analyze. It's not just what they did, but how they analyze the scenario, what they did, and why they acted the way they did. So really trying to, to understand their thought process. What led them to do this? What was the subtext of what was written either in an email or said over a phone call, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's a, I'm sure there's a saying or something about common sense being uncommon, but it's uh, definitely a very important thing to screen for, ideally for every role, but I definitely think as a, a CSM, you can get quite far with common sense. Absolutely. So then in terms of you know where you fall on that and your own set of, set of skills that have allowed you to excel in, in CS and now partner success, what is your superpower? It's a tough question. But I'll answer just one thing, and there are some that uh, come to mind, but I think that would be yeah, my smile. You have to pick one. So I'm picking my smile, and people can't see right now, but I think you're seeing. So I am smiling, <laughs> and I'm always trying to hey, keep... Hey, people can hear it too. <laughs> Definitely. And, you know, I always try to, to keep a smile and be optimistic. It's really important with the team, and it's even more, more important with customers and partners. We all spend so much time at work, right? So let's try to make the best of it and enjoy the ride, right? And bring positive energy to the table. People like people that energize them, that push them forward, that make work a little more fun than it is. 
Definitely. Yeah, I think, you know, we should all try smiling. It's really contagious. And besides, as, you know, Oscar Wilde once said, life is too short to be taken seriously. So... <laughs> Very true. I try to live by that. Words to live by, absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. Okay, well, on a similar note then, if you weren't in customer success, or let's say you weren't in tech in general, you had to be doing something completely different, what is it you would be doing? So if there were no money issues in the world... No money issues. You just inherited $8 million from an estranged uncle you've never met. You know, you can go do anything. And life would allow, and wife would allow, and it would be and easy your wife to... Would allow you. And it would be easy to move with the kids. So I'd definitely be a snowboard instructor in Europe during the winters and a kite surf instructor in Brazil during the summer. Then I'd be a happy and very tan person. <laughs> yes, that's very true on both accounts. Well, it's been a year and a half, you know, I don't know how long. It's probably been two years since I had a tan. I feel like I'm getting transparent up in Canada. So the next time I can get into the sun, that'll be great. I was lucky enough to go on my snowboarding vacation a month ago. Nice. Sorry to putting this out there. I don't want people to hate me for it, but yeah, things are getting back to normality. And for me, this, this was something that I really, you know, aimed for, for that, that this entire COVID year that was hectic and crazy on work side and personal life. It was really hard. And, you know, mm -hmm. I took a day off here. We did something, but for me to really be on vacation is just to go on a plane go skiing, go snowboarding, just be with friends and forget everything. And then this weekend you got to go to the beach. Yes. But so the beach is something in Israel we do a lot. So Hey, I mean, that's still, it's still something to appreciate and enjoy. So. Absolutely. It's the small things in life that matter. Definitely. I'm sure this year has challenged the, uh, your optimism superpower as much as possible. So the fact that you're, you've gotten through it and you're still smiling definitely goes a long way. Wasn't easy, but we made it. Awesome. Well, Shai, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking with me today. I learned a lot and this is really interesting stuff. So excited to see what you do with SciSense. Excited to hear what you're working on in the future. Sure, Ben. Thank you very much for having me on your show and hopefully we'll get to speak again soon. Definitely. Cheers, buddy. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave us a review and share this podcast with a friend. If you want to learn more about Catalyst, visit catalyst.io. Until next week, I'm Ben Wynn, and this was NPS I Love You. P.S. I love you. <laughs>